You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly news podcast. We are recording this episode on Thursday the 26th of October. And this week we're going to talk about how Sweden celebrates Halloween and All Saints Day. We'll have the latest on Sweden joining NATO. We'll talk about damage caused to a telecommunications cable between Sweden and Estonia and whether sabotage might be involved. We'll also discuss the enduring success of the Swedish game show Pusporet, as well as the reality show Alt Sverige. And finally, we'll run through some of the most common questions we're getting right now from work permit holders ahead of the introduction next week of a new salary requirement. I'm Paul O'Mahony and I'm in Stockholm and I'm joined this week by the locals Emma Lovegren and Becky Waterton in Malmö. How are things with you both? I'm extremely cold. I'm actually wearing my coat in the podcast studio. I was going to say the same thing. I'm freezing as well. Is it really cold down there today? I mean, we, right. sh- we, we shouldn't complain because... You know, Sweden's a long country and autumn has come and gone in lots of other parts of Sweden. Well, I should say that before we get started, just a quick reminder that if you're listening on Saturday, the clocks go back an hour at 2 a.m. so you can enjoy an extra hour in bed tonight. So that means darker days are ahead. And with Halloween and All Saints Day coming up this week, I'd like to ask some questions about those. So Emma, first of all, is Halloween celebrated in Sweden? And if so, when and how? I mean, it wasn't celebrated that much when I was little, but it's getting more popular. And I think today it's as much of a staple really in the Swedish calendar as like Lucia or Easter, especially mm. if you have children. People might like, you know, decorate pumpkins or dress up in spooky outfits or watch scary movies, that kind of thing. And yeah. um, and children do go trick or treating as well. But like it's much more low key than in the US. You don't get yeah. like these sort of houses that are really sort of done up looking like ghost houses and all of that. It is a bit unclear when you're supposed to celebrate Halloween in Sweden. I mean, it's supposed to be October the 31st, obviously, but that day falls on a weekday this year. So you might actually get children trick-or-treating this weekend or the weekend after Halloween uh, so that they can have their, you know, traditional Swedish Saturday sweets on a Saturday. And also it kind of falls around the same time as All Saints also. So it's not really clear to people Mm. whether we want to combine it with that or not. So we're kind of still trying to figure out the details, I think, a little bit in Sweden. I know my daughter's preschool had like a Halloween party where everyone came in in Halloween costumes. Yeah. Like the closest Friday, I think. Yeah, same. Yeah, I see that discussion every year in uh, local Facebook groups. When should the children go out knocking on doors? And there are always uh, big differences of opinion there. 
Yeah. And it's, it, is it okay to knock on everybody's doors or should you only knock on doors where there's a pumpkin outside? Yeah, exactly. We have that as well. There's kind of a, an agreement among the parents, stick a, stick a pumpkin outside the door and those are the ones we knock on. And what's uh, trick-or-treating called in Swedish? Buselegodis. Okay, thanks for that explanation, Emma. I'm always a bit confused around this time of the year when it comes to the All Saints tradition. And I'm hoping you can help clarify that for me, Becky. So there are three separate terms in Swedish that sound similar, but refer to slightly different things. There's Alhelgona Dagen, Alhelgons Dog, and Alhelgona Helg. Can you talk us through these? I can do my best, but I have to be honest, I did not really understand this while I was writing it. It took a long time to get it into my head. So I hope you know what you're getting yourself into asking me this. Okay, we'll see. Okay, so I'll do my best. Okay, we can start with Alhelgonadagen, which yep. literally breaks down into all, which is Al, Helgon, which is a saint, and is also the root of the word Heli, which means weekend, not hell, and dog, day. So Al Helgonadagen always falls on November 1st, which is because way back, more than a thousand years ago, November 1st was chosen as the day to celebrate saints who did not have their own designated feast day. And the following day was All Souls Day, which was used to remember the dead, whether they were saints or not. So that's what has now become Alla Helgon's Dog. The two terms Alla Helgon Dagen and Alla Helgon's Dog used to be interchangeable until 1953, when Alla Helgon's Dog was moved from November 1st to the first Sunday of November, and then it was later moved to the first Saturday of November. Which gave us the two terms, Al Helgon Dagen, always on November 1st, where saints are celebrated, and Alla Helgon's Dog, where you remember the dead, which is always the following Saturday. Unless November 1st is on a Saturday, in which case they're on the same day. Okay, it's really confusing. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, celebrating saints kind of fell out of favour in 1772, when the Al Helgon Dagen public holiday was abolished, because it was seen as inconsistent with Lutherism. Um, it is still a public holiday in some countries, mainly Catholic countries. Um, but, you know, it's still an important religious festival for some people. So you'll see it written on like Swedish calendars and stuff like that. Although most Swedes, if they celebrate at all, will just celebrate Alla Helgon's dog, which we'll usually consider of going to visit the graves of any relatives, lighting a candle, going to remember the dead. Uh, and then finally, the third term, Alla Helgon literally All Saints Weekend, essentially refers to whichever weekend Alla Helgon's dog falls on, if that makes sense. Okay, so let's get on to the news now and the latest development on Sweden's long wait to be let into NATO. So Sweden's previous government submitted the application to join in May last year, but Turkey and Hungary have repeatedly stalled on ratifying. But when the NATO Secretary-General Jens Stoltenberg visited Stockholm this week, he was confident that the saga was coming to an end, wasn't he? Well, he said that before... So I feel like we've talked about this a million times already because it's been yep. dragging on for so long. But there has actually been some movement now. So uh, Turkish President Erdogan, he finally submitted the ratification protocol to his parliament. But it still needs to sort of do the rounds in the Turkish parliament before it's actually a done deal. Everyone's assuming that Hungary will do whatever Turkey does. So they've also been stalling, but will probably ratify Sweden soon. I know that NATO foreign ministers are meeting in Brussels at the end of next month, and there is some hope that Sweden will become a member by then. But also, I have to say that when reporters asked the Swedish prime minister when this process will actually be over, he was very reluctant to speculate on a specific date, which was probably very wise of him. 
Okay, yeah. So Stoltenberg reckons Sweden will be in by the end of November. But as you say, we've been here before. So yeah, let's wait and see. On a related note, NATO said last week that it was ramping up patrols in the Baltic Sea in response to alleged attacks on underwater infrastructure. And there was a report this week about the possible sabotage of a telecommunications cable between Sweden and Estonia. What do we know about this story? Well, what we know for sure is that both the Swedish and Estonian governments believe that the cable was damaged by some sort of external force. They've been a bit reluctant to give any more details, like who they think could be behind it, or indeed whether it was actually damaged intentionally. And there's also there's an undersea gas pipeline and a telecom cable between Finland and Estonia, which is believed to have been damaged at the same time. Right. So Finland's National Bureau of Investigation, which has the catchy acronym NBI, is apparently investigating whether a Hong Kong flagged container ship, which was in the area at the time, could be involved with the damage to the pipeline and cable between Finland and Estonia. It's possible there's a link there between the, the damaged cable between Sweden and Estonia too. So Leif Nixon, an IT expert speaking to Dagens Nyheter, said there were a lot of indications that it had been a complete accident, although it would be quite a weird one. He did say, however, that sabotage cannot be completely ruled out. For example, there's quite a few cables between the two damaged cables that haven't been affected. So it's a little bit of a mystery there. We'll have to see kind of what the investigations bring up. This is definitely an evolving story. I mean, this information about the Hong Kong flagship is quite new. I think it just kind of the, the DN report came out last night, Wednesday night, as we're recording this. And sort of the suspicion is that the anchor from the ship may have come into contact and damaged these cables. But yeah, there's quite a lot we don't know yet. So we'll be following this. And if there's an update on the story, we can add it to the notes. And in the meantime, we'll add links in the show notes to all of our latest articles on the security situation, including the latest on NATO. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, let's switch to something very different now. So Friday sees the return of Sweden's most beloved quiz show, Postbordet, a program rivaled in viewer statistics only by Melody Festival and, and the Donald Duck Christmas special. So more than two million people routinely tune in to watch the quiz, which has been hosted since 2009 by Christian Luke and Friedrich Lindström. But what on earth is it and why is it so popular? Uh, well, it's been around since 1987, so it's almost as old as I am. So the title postbordet, it means like, I guess, like on track, something like that. And mm. track, in this case, referring to like a railway track, like we're, we're going somewhere. And it's based on the premise that you're traveling to a destination and the teams are supposed to guess where you're going. 
based on various hints and usually quite far-fetched puns. So the concept was developed by public broadcaster SVTS Gothenburg Studio, and Gothenburgers are known for liking puns. And this kind of still lives on today. And then once you've arrived at the destination, there are follow-up questions about like food or politics or music and so on. And I'm not sure why it's so popular, actually, because the concept is actually pretty basic. But I don't know, it's, it's done like very well and it hasn't changed much at all over the last three decades. So maybe they just kind of figured out what works and they stuck with that. And like I yeah. watch it, I watch it every year myself. I know always around this time of the year, I start sort of thinking, hmm, isn't it about time for, to watch Pusporet again? I wonder when that starts. And that's when I know I'm in the autumn mood. We literally had this discussion, me and my husband, a couple of days ago. Like, is it not time for Pusporet? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the nights yeah. get darker, everything gets cold, and you're like, right, when's it coming? Um, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't sound that enthralling when you hear the premise, but clearly it has a lot of appeal. Yeah, so, so you watch it then, Becky, yeah? I do watch it, and I am a huge fan. Me and my husband actually play along with it on SVT's Duo app, which like lets you answer the questions in real time and lets you kind of guess the destination that they're all going to at the same time as the contestants. And then like, we'll often call his grandma afterwards and discuss the show like, oh, that was a hard question. Or what number did you get there? But like the reason I like it so much is because I think it's like a very entertaining crash course into Swedish culture. Mm. Obviously, you have to speak Swedish to understand it, or at least have a more than basic understanding of Swedish. But all the contestants are kind of Swedish public figures, some more well-known than others. They always feature at least one Swedish town or city, which I often know nothing about and even the questions for the destinations in other countries often have some sort of connection to sweden or swedish culture they also have a house band in each episode which is quite often a pretty well-known swedish artist who plays live music for the music round so it really is like an intro an intro to sweden on so many different levels Mm. and i really like the puns so that's a great thing for me. I just wish there was a version of it in English so I could watch it with my parents because I think they would love it. The artists they get are pretty like cool artists as well. Or yeah. like at least they get a range of them. Like yeah. last year they had Benny Anderson and then they also had First Aid Kit. Yeah, they have like, like it's, it's it was really like a crash course into like who are the well-known Swedish artists right now. Mm. What do you watch it, Paul? What do you think about Pusporet? No one's asked you what you think. No one cares what I think, Becky. No one ever asks me. <laughs> I, I watch it. No, not that much. I didn't watch it at all last year because one of my sons thought it was terribly boring. We watched it the previous year and yeah, it was quite entertaining. I'm not a huge fan, I wouldn't say, but I, I do agree that some of the music is is really good and um, they, they get some excellent acts on. I remember the year I watched it or a couple of times I watched it, they had like Sibyl Attar on, who I really like, and Sara Parkman who does this sort of modern take on Swedish folk music. She was great as well. Now they have some really interesting artists on there. So another show that's really popular is Alt for Sverige. And the 11th season started last week and it quickly shot to the top of the viewing charts. Can you tell us what the concept is and why so many people keep tuning in year after year? So like back in the 19th century, there were a lot of Swedes that emigrated to the U.S., and mm. so there are a lot of Americans who have like Swedish ancestors. And mm. the concept of this show is that they get a group of Americans every year, fly them over to Sweden and they get to learn about Sweden and about their Swedish ancestors. I've been watching a little bit of the new season. It's a mix of some things that are quite sort of Swedish stereotypes and some cliche stuff. And I think 
I'm personally probably a bit jaded because I write about Sweden and Swedishness every day. So sometimes when you hear about these things like, oh, Swedes are lagom, Swedes are don't talk to strangers, you do feel a little bit like, oh, here we go again. But it's also very heartwarming because the the people who are like the participants, they they get to learn about like their family history, what life was like for their ancestors back in Sweden, all the challenges that they had, why they emigrated to America and so on. And like mm. sometimes they, they learn a lot of things that they didn't know them themselves. And it's quite lovely. I also find that sort of thing really interesting, family history. I have not watched it. I was planning on watching it the night before we recorded this, but I was too busy writing my notes. So <laughs> Another thing actually that struck me when I watched it was that a lot of these people, like they come from families where they've really honoured their Swedish roots. And mm. even though they've lived in the US their whole lives, they you know might have Swedish decorations at home or celebrate Swedish Christmas and things like that. And that's the kind of thing like when in Sweden, when, when immigrants do the same thing, like people all sometimes react to that and it kind of uh, feels a bit suspicious. You know, are, the, are they truly integrating in Sweden? Mm. So I find that interesting. Yeah, you're celebrating yeah. immigrants in other countries holding on to Swedish traditions. Exactly. But maybe not celebrating immigrants in Sweden holding on to their traditions. Yeah. That's an interesting take, actually. And uh, both of those shows, Postboret and Allt för Sverige, they're on SVT, so they can be watched on TV and on SVT Play. We mentioned last week that our partner Stockholm Academic Forum is running an event called Stockholm Explorative Talks, which takes place on Thursday the 9th of November. The event brings together academics, artists and business people, and together they will tackle a range of topical issues in spontaneous, freewheeling conversations that are 100% PowerPoint-free, and one of the talks will be curated by our own James Savage. Please check out the link in the episode notes where you can see the full lineup and sign up to attend, and it's completely free of charge. Okay, we're going to move on now to the story we've been covering most on The Local over the past few weeks, which is the introduction of a new salary requirement for work permit holders on the 1st of November. The new regulation means that non-EU applicants won't be allowed to work in Sweden unless they're going to earn a monthly salary of more than 27,360 kroner. And current work permit holders earning below the limit when their permit expires will have to leave. We've had a lot of questions from readers about all this, and we thought we'd go through some of them now. And we'll start with one that we've actually already responded to in an article. Can I meet Sweden's new work permit threshold by working multiple jobs? What's the answer here, Emma? Uh, The answer is no. You apply for a work permit based on your specific job and not on your kind of take-home pay as a whole. And if you have a work permit, you're actually not allowed to pick up a second job on the side. You are allowed to start your own business on the side and earn money from that. But that money will not be included in the salary calculation when they look at your work permit. Okay, thanks for that, Emma. Next question. So which jobs pay 27,360 kroner? Quite a lot, really. Um, So I'm actually going to flip the question around and tell you which jobs are likely to not pay 27,360 kroner instead. So the migration agencies themselves have said that it will mainly affect the following industries. 
service industry, care, sales, agriculture, lumber, berry pickers, fishing, and kind of industries which require a shorter education or like a shorter introductory course, Mm. um, which are also industries with a lot of immigrants, which Paul wrote a great article about this week. Statistics Sweden's stats basically back this up, although interestingly... Soldiers also earn lower than 27,000 kroner. So granted, there aren't any soldiers in Sweden on a work permit because you have to be a Swedish citizen to be a soldier in Sweden. But given the fact that the government themselves have basically said you're only earning enough to support yourself if you earn over this amount, it's kind of interesting they don't even pay people trained to protect the country enough to live off. I think also it's important to mention that you should be aware that if you're earning over the 27,360 kroner threshold, you're not necessarily safe either. You also need to be earning a salary in line with your industry's collective bargaining agreement or industry standards too. So um, your work permit could be rejected for paying lower than other people in your role are earning, even if it's over the salary threshold. Uh, We have an article up on the website which goes through how you can check whether your salary is high enough for that. Does the new salary threshold apply to permanent residency applications too? You're giving me all the easy questions that have a yes or no answer. And the answer (laughs) to this one is yes. Uh, so when you apply for a permanent residency, you have to meet the same requirements as if you were to get an extension on your permit, which is already the case today and is going to continue to be the case. Yeah, this wasn't by design, but yeah, you're right. We're really keeping Becky on her toes here. Um, sorry about this, Becky. <laughs> it's okay. Emma, so, you're, I, you're very welcome to jump in if you have anything else to say on any of my questions. No, no, you've got it. <laughs> <laughs> so a question now that touches on the political situation in Sweden. How does the new salary regulation align with Sweden's broader immigration and integration policies? I think there are kind of two answers to this question or two aspects of this answer. So I would say it aligns with their wish to crack down on immigration in general. It aligns with their wish to focus on highly skilled labour immigrants. And it also aligns with this kind of idea that there are lots of unemployed people already in Sweden and a relatively high proportion of those people are immigrants, or at least the unemployment rate is relatively high amongst immigrants in Mm, Sweden. mm. Um, So it aligns with this idea that Sweden is creating jobs for people that are already here and people that don't have jobs in order to better integrate them to Swedish society. That all kind of fits with what they're saying. I think the problem and where it maybe doesn't align as much is that they're creating jobs by kicking out people that are already here rather than reforming the system for future applicants. So these are people who kind of by all means are doing all they can to integrate. They're working hard, they're paying taxes, they often have kids in Swedish schools, they're spending their evenings learning Swedish, they have kind of aims in the future to, or they often kind of have a goal to move into a different career in the future. You know, we've spoken a lot about Mm -hmm. a lot of these people are very highly trained with qualifications that maybe aren't recognised in Sweden. These are also the kind of people that a lot of Swedish industries rely on and often in key industries which already have a skills shortage. So I think this particular part of the policy really has the potential to backfire on the government. I don't know if you guys agree with that. If I am to jump in on that, actually, I would say that this, I mean, it's worth remembering that this um, this new change is based on a proposal that was originally put forward by the previous centre-left government. Mm. So I think we're unlikely to see the opposition kind of hitting out at this policy anytime soon. The basis of the policy is not to get rid of immigrants. The the whole argument behind the policy is that people are being exploited and this is to stop people being exploited. It just has a lot of kind of knock-on effects, meaning that there's lots of industries that are going to really struggle and there's lots of hardworking people that are also going to be kicked out even though they've not done anything wrong and they're not being exploited. Okay, so the next reader question follows on from that. So how could the new salary level impact businesses and industries that rely on immigrant labour? Um, Very badly. 
so business organizations, trade unions, analysts, municipalities, they've all said that if they could recruit from within Sweden, which is another one of the arguments behind this policy that you know jobs should go to unemployed people who are already in Sweden. But if they could recruit from within Sweden, they would, rather mm. than having to go through the hassle of work permits. But they say it's just not possible. Like Sweden needs people from outside. I mean, the forest industry said that it's going to massively suffer because they can't pay their foreign workers more than they're already doing, and they won't be able to find the same skills within Sweden. And farmers are saying that it could have an impact on Swedish food production, even. I mean, you remember that we had Paul Connolly from Skellefteå here a couple of weeks ago to talk about how northern Sweden is crying out for foreign workers because of the tech boom. But that's not just people with super qualified tech degrees. Like when cities are growing, they also need cleaners and assistant nurses and so on. Mm. And also because the threshold is set to 80% of the overall median salary and not the median salary for each specific job. It means that it's also kind of having a very uneven impact on industries. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, uh, a shorter one now for Becky. Um, does the new salary requirement apply before or after tax? Before tax. You've nothing more to say on that? Nope. <laughs> That's the answer. <laughs> before tax. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next question. What's the incremental trend for the median salary as published by Statistics Sweden for the past five years? Uh, it's It varies a bit, but it's increased about a thousand kroner every year. Okay. And we have a related question there. Will the salary threshold be increased over time? Uh, yes. The government is likely to raise the level from 80% to 100% of the median salary next year, which will bring it up to around 34,000 kroner. Um, and then after that, we can expect the requirement to increase by around a thousand kroner each subsequent year, kind of in line with what Emma just said. I feel like I should also mention here that they are also planning to introduce some exceptions to the salary threshold at some point for mm. key jobs like nurses, for example. But there's no information yet on when that will happen, which jobs will be included, or what will happen for people who would have been accepted under those rules but who are rejected before the new rules come into force. Next question, why is it just for non-EU workers? I mean, it's the same reason as why the rules were different between EU and non-EU workers before. So EU workers just, they don't need a work permit to come to Sweden. Sweden isn't allowed to treat EU workers any differently to Swedish workers under freedom of movement laws. So, so that's why it doesn't apply to them. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so next question, how does the change affect people on parental leave or sick leave? It doesn't really affect people differently to anyone else on a work permit. So you won't be affected until you have to apply for a new permit. As a work permit holder, you're allowed to go on sick leave, you're allowed to go on parental leave. Uh, and you won't have to meet the new requirements when you go back from leave if you're still on the same permit, if your your old permit is still valid. But if you have to apply for a new permit or a permanent extension or permanent residency, then you will have to meet the new requirements when you apply for that permit. Or if you're work or if you've applied for extension and it hasn't been approved yet. So basically it's the same as it is for other people on work permits. Okay. Thanks. Um next question. Is it true that appealed decisions which are under court judgment are examined according to the present 13,000 kroner requirements? Uh, yes. So if your work permit is rejected before November 1st, that means it's been rejected under the old rules. And that also yeah. means that if you appeal it, it will still be the old rules that apply. Okay. 
Uh, and the next question concerns compensation for working on social hours or UB-tillegg in Swedish. And the reader asks, is UB-tillegg included? My salary is under the limit without UB, but if I add UB, it is above. Uh, in general, it's just your grundlön or kind of your basic salary that's included. But in some cases, other allowances or additions are included if they're regular and clearly described in your contract or the working conditions that are submitted to the to the migration agency. Okay. How will family members of work permit holders be affected? I mean, on an emotional level, they'll obviously be very much affected, as we found out when we did a survey of hundreds of work permit holders the other week. On a practical level, it I mean, it depends on what kind of permit they have whether they have their own permit or whether they have a family permit that's tied to the partner's work permit, which is quite common. And if it's the latter, then, I mean, I guess whatever decision the migration agency makes about the partner's work permit will affect them too. Okay. So next question, why aren't they sanctioning business owners for underpaying or exploiting workers rather than punishing workers? We kind of touched on this before, but I think... Their argument would be that they're making it impossible for businesses to get away with underpaying or exploiting workers as they won't be able to hire anyone earning under a certain wage. Like in theory, businesses could just raise everyone's salary to meet the limit, but that doesn't really work in practice and especially not given Sweden's current economic situation. And I mean, business owners who are found to exploit workers, they can already be punished Mm. under Swedish law. But I mean, it's hard to like find them and crack down on them. I guess this is like a preventative measure as well. It's a lot harder to, you're not not catching people who have exploited workers. You're making it less possible to actually bring people here and exploit them in the first place. I guess the counter argument to that is if they're already breaking the rules under current rules, then what's to say they won't continue doing that? Uh, The next question we have from a reader is, who can we contact for support? That's a very broad question. I mean, you're welcome to email the local if you have a story to share and if it's got wider relevance to our audience, we might write about it. If you have specific questions about your specific permit, then I have to suggest the migration agency. Uh, You might not think of that as support necessarily, but in the end, it is ultimately the authorities who can tell you whether you meet the requirements or not. And they might also be able to advise on whether there are other routes that are available to you, like if there are other types of permits you can apply for. If you're a member of a union, it's it's always worth reaching out to them, if only to show them that this is a problem that's affecting their members. When we did our survey, we found out that there were a lot of readers that said that their men- mental health had been affected by all of these issues. And in that case... If you feel like you need support with that, then you could contact MIND, which is a mental health charity, or even Sweden's healthcare helpline 1177 for help in English. Okay, we had a lot of um, questions from readers and we haven't had time to, to get through them all here. So we're just going to have one final question now, which is, will people with permanent residency be allowed to stay? Yes. This only affects you when you apply for a new permit or an extension or if you apply for permanent residency. But if you already hold permanent residency, they're not going to withdraw it from you. It could affect you if you leave Sweden and lose your permanent residence permit, though, as then you'd have to get a new permit under the new rules to return. I think also here I just want to add the caveat that be aware that rules to permanent residency could change in the future. And as we've seen, they could change with short notice. 
you might need to start filling, fulfilling certain requirements to hang on to your permanent residency permit, for example. And the only truly permanent residence permit which cannot be revoked, at least not yet, is Swedish citizenship. So if you really want to be sure that you can stay here permanently and you qualify for citizenship, then that might be a route that could be worth going down for you. That's all for this week. We'll include links to our work permit articles in the show notes. And thank you for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure you're following it in your podcast app of choice. So you get it delivered as soon as it comes out each Saturday. Our panelists today were Emma Lovegain and Becky Waterton. Our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony and we'll be back again next week with a new episode of Sweden in Focus. Until then, take care. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.